The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now, if you will take your Bibles, please, I'd like you to open them to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah and chapter 6. And I'd like to continue, continue our study from uh, the past two weeks. We have been discussing unity in the church. And unity, of course, means that we are together, that we think alike, we act alike, we believe alike, that we have the same purpose and goals among us as God's people. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul said to the Corinthian church, a, a church that was sharply divided, even to the point of thinking they were wiser than the apostles, he said, we have the mind of Christ. And he meant that as believers, we are not instructed by the wisdom of this world, that we do not take our cues from this world we understand the things of God because we have the mind of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, he wrote that God's people are to be like-minded and in agreement and to be of one mind. And then he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, he wrote that we should endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and then he went on to say that teachers of God's word are given to perfect our faith, to build up the body of Christ and to bring unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. And I could go on and on. I could give you many more references about unity that are found in the epistles. Believers in Jesus Christ are intended to be unified because we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all who is in all who are God's people. And so simply put, we are all in Christ, and so we should all be like each other. Well, unity is our subject, and I preach on unity because clearly it's lacking, just as it was when the apostles taught churches in the first century. Now, we have discussed the production of unity. How do we obtain it? And then we discuss the preservation of unity. Once we have it, how do we keep it? And today I want to return to expand on the main basis of unity. And I touched on this just a bit last week. And I said that we would return to this to deepen our understanding of this point. Our unity is based in our salvation in Christ. It's based on knowing Christ. And how do we know Christ? Well, he is revealed in only one way. We learn of him through the scriptures. Now, once again, quoting the Apostle Paul, he told Timothy that the Holy Scriptures are, uh, can make you wise unto salvation, which is in Christ. Peter said that we are born again by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. In other words, the word teaches Christ. He is the living word who is revealed through the written word. And this makes it clear that the scriptures are the basis of our unity. And when we depart from scripture, we depart from Christ. And without him, there is no unity. And I propose to you that the reason there are churches of every variety 
is because Christians have departed from the words of Scripture. Now, I want to take you to Jeremiah chapter 6, and this will be our launching pad for a discussion of doctrinal unity. And we'll focus on doctrines that are essential, and if these aren't held to, they are the destruction of unity. Now, there are some practices that are matters of preference. We shouldn't have disagreements, or we may have disagreements, rather, on them, and they wouldn't or they shouldn't ruin the fellowship of the church. But there are other doctrines that are foundational. There are truths that we can't set aside, because when we do, they alter the gospel message, and they have consequences that altogether change the truth of the word. Now, what God said to Jeremiah gives insight as to the reason that Christianity is off the rails, not only with doctrinal disagreements among so many denominations, but also disagreement among or within those who call themselves Baptists. Now, looking at the scriptures in Jeremiah chapter 6, we begin reading in verse number 8. Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall fruly glean the remnant of Israel as vine. Turn back thine hand as a grape gatherer into the baskets. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the age with him that is full of days. And their houses shall be turned unto others with their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. We ought to underline this last phrase in verse 16. We will not walk therein. And that is the source of much trouble. Now, as always, it's good to establish the context of a passage before we begin to make applications. We apply scriptures to our situations and we learn from them. But we shouldn't take away from what was intended for the original audience the scene in this passage is the southern part of Israel. The nation was divided into two parts after the reign of Solomon. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. 
uh, but was actually two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And the northern kingdom of Israel was the other ten tribes, and they were taken into captivity about 100 years before this. Now, as Jeremiah writes, Judah also faced the imminent danger of captivity. An invading Babylonian army was knocking on the door of Jerusalem. But the most significant danger they faced was not opposing armies. The real danger was offending God and needing to deal with him because of their disobedience. Judah faced an invading army, but this was an army that was sent by God. Now, unknown to Babylon, they were under God's authority and they were given permission by God and God used them to chastise his people. The armies of Nebuchadnezzar could do nothing unless God permitted. In fact, God held them off and gave Judah warning and gave them space to repent because these invaders were about to be unleashed upon them. And so there were a, it was a series of prophets, including Jeremiah, who spoke God's word and warned Judah what would happen. Now, it's hardly imaginable the atrocities that Judah committed against God. Jerusalem, the holy city, the city of David, the place of the only temple of Jehovah God had become a place of idolatry. And that was by no means accidental. The people didn't just wander off into it. They were led there by wicked kings and by priests and false prophets. Now, in verse 10, Jeremiah wonders, who will heed the warning? The nation was overrun from top to bottom with people that had filled themselves with sin so much that to hear the truth of God's word spoken meant nothing at all. In verse 13, he says the prophets and the priests weren't better than the people who gave themselves to wickedness. The religious leaders dealt falsely with the people and they preached there was peace and everything would be fine. But Jeremiah warned them of destruction. But for all those efforts to help God's people, he was thrown into a dungeon. The people wouldn't listen the priests and the prophets were more concerned about their popularity with the people and giving them what they wanted rather than calling them to repentance before God. Well, here is where we need to update the story. There are passages in the Old Testament that can be applied as general principles and warnings to us as well. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, now, all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, what did God say would bring the people back? He says this in verse 16. Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where is the good way. And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. What are the old paths? Well, you can read Psalm 119, and you'll see many ways of describing them. They are the precepts. They are the statutes. They are the commandments. They are the law. They are the judgments. They are the way. They are the testimonies. And we must hear this well. The old paths are the scriptures, the ways and word of God. Now, I believe there's no question that preachers today 
are guilty of the same transgressions that caused Judah to sin and fall and go into captivity in Babylon. Now, many preachers have abandoned the old paths of doctrine and for their own benefit and their popularity, for their personal prosperity, they purposely lead people away from the truth of the word. And the result is a wasteland of apostate Christianity. Church is the social place. Church is the get together. Church is the place to get comfortable with sin rather than to purge sin from this world. Church is reimagined to conform to idolatry, to adultery, to sexual perversion, and the same ideologies that plague people of the ancient world. Church is not seriously about Christ. People don't want to know Christ. They want to satisfy sensual, temporal, self-gratifying self-worship. And so the church has become just another branch of entertainment, of the entertainment industry. I see it all the time. I remember an interview I had with a family several years ago that was interested in becoming members of Berean. And I sat in the office with them for perhaps 20 or 25 minutes, and I was going over the doctrinal positions of the church. I talked about personal faith in Christ. I spoke of the need of scriptural baptism. I questioned these folks about personal commitment to the church and the expectation of holiness for God's people. And when I was done, I said, well, now, do you, do you have any questions for me? And the husband sat there for a moment, his eyes glazed over, and then he asked an all-important, dramatic, non-negotiable, intense question. He said, do you have a softball team? I really like softball. And that's my point. Churches have produced Christians that walk into a church building and the first thing on their agenda is a softball team. It's the music. It's the social activities. And I can count on one hand the numbers of times that a potential member interviewed me and wanted to know where I stand on the great doctrines of the word. You see, you as members of and friends of Brian Church, you, you're going to be taught by me. Do you think it's not important for you to know where the pastor stands or if he stands on the word of God? Will he tell you what God said or will it be those things that what people who care nothing for doctrine want to hear? And so here is the problem with Judah. They didn't care. The old paths didn't interest them. They wanted to walk in a different way, something that was that tasted a little bit better than the bitter herbs of self-sacrifice and dedication to God and him alone. Well, what paths do we need to walk in that will anchor unity in our church? What is the path that we need to take to know God as we should know him? The answer to the question is not hard. It's the path of Bible doctrine, of scriptural doctrine, that will make us all like Christ. These are doctrines that we often call the fundamentals. They're not preferences. They are doctrines that if you change them, they will destroy the truth and the unity that's built on it. Now, we've taken quite a bit of time for introduction, so I have time to discuss only two of these doctrines. And then next week, we will come back and finish doctrinal unity. I'd like to speak to you first about the path 
of declaration, the path of declaration. There is a phrase that's found over 400 times in the scriptures, and it is especially important. Now, I'm not going to read those 400 occurrences, not even 10, but this phrase is used five times in Jeremiah chapter 6 alone. In verse 6, in verse 9, in verse 16, in verse 21, and in verse 22. And the phrase that is used 400 times, more than 400 times, is thus saith the Lord. This Bible that I hold in my hands is one big, thus saith the Lord. The Bible is God's way of speaking to us. And if there is to be unity among us, we must declare, thus saith the Lord. Now, you, you'll not hear the audible voice of God. You needn't expect that God will appear in your bedroom in the night or that the clouds will part and angels will speak. None of that's necessary because if you want to hear God's words, thus saith the Lord, the place for you to read them is in the Bible. And the place for you to hear them is from a preacher who sticks to reading from the Bible. The preacher says, God spoke to me, and he familiarizes it with personal anecdotes of how he met with God and had a conversation with God, and God told him what to tell you. Turn him off. Don't listen. Throw that out, because what he says is a lie, and it's no good. Whatever God has to say to you, he already said it in his word. His word is the objective truth, and you can rely on it, and God needn't speak more than what he already said. Scripture itself says it's enough for everything that we need to know about who God is and what God did and what God wants. And so if you hear anything that is contrary to the scriptures, if you hear another revelation, if someone has a divination, if there is a tongue or prophecy or a thought, that is new to, in addition to, or in conflict with what's written in the pages of the Bible, it is not, thus saith the Lord. The path that we must walk is the path of the invaluable, verbal, plenarily inspired word of God. This is God's revelation to man, and everything in it is what God wants you to know about him, about how things work, and what you should do in response to him. This is the path of declaration of the almighty God. It is the path of sola scriptura, scripture alone. But it's a path that many say we will not walk therein. Now, would you look once again at the text in Jeremiah 6? Notice again verse number 10. Jeremiah says, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. And isn't this true of our churches? People do not delight in the word of God. The Bible contradicts them. So they hate it. They want to change it and put in its place something that's more suitable to their way of thinking. Well, the Bible has something to say about that as well. In two places in the Proverbs, the same thing is said in chapter 14 and in chapter 16. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I'm always puzzled by this. How do you conduct church? How can you have Christianity? How can you do any of this without 
opening the Bible, without reading from it, without seeking the meaning of its truths. How can you do it? But across this city, across America, in our churches, the Bible is often never opened on a Sunday morning. Oh, there might be no scriptures read. And if a preacher does decide to speak a little homily and read a scripture, what he says has nothing to do with the scriptures he read, or there is a misinterpretation of it to fit his pet agenda, which is a figment of his imagination. And I would submit that people don't know the word of God because preachers don't give them the word of God. And if they do, it's a mangled interpretation. Jesus complained about this to the Pharisees. They, they had the scriptures. They, they copied them over and over. They had long scrolls on which they wrote them, and they were familiar with them. But what was his complaint against them? He said, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And I would say there is nothing worse than attaching Jesus' name to false, self-serving interpretations. There are services every Sunday morning with singing and praying, and then when it comes time to preach, the message is not the message of God's holy word, but doctrines that are the commandments of men. And much of the time, you don't even need to, to wait to hear what is said. If you see a, a woman walk into a pulpit, you don't need to hear Wait to hear what is said, because that action speaks louder than words. This is a church that has a false prophet, and that church has no intention of walking in the path of God's declaration. Just today, I saw a, a statistic that said that 76% of evangelical Christians believe that it's all right for a woman to teach, preach in the church. A few weeks ago, in the first shutdown, a woman who is the pastor of two United Methodist churches in Santa Rosa, was interviewed. And she said, and I quote, a key Methodist principle is to do no harm. And based on that principle, she said she would not try to open her church when she was ordered not to. Well, I read that and I thought, by all means, keep your church closed. Keep it closed forever if you're trying to live by the principle, do no harm, because there is no greater harm than to ignore, thus saith the Lord. When a priest says, bring your baby to the baptismal font and wash away his sin, he has no intention of declaring, thus saith the Lord. You won't find that in God's word. If he says, come to the confessional, light a candle for the dead, take the mass, you won't find that because God never said it. That was what I say, divisive. Yes. And what Jeremiah said was divisive. Did he care? Do you think the priest and the false prophets appreciated his divisiveness? And neither do I care what people think. The right path is found in the pages of the Holy Scripture. and They are only guide of faith and practice. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which he heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. Now, if this is the word of God and declared to be the word of God by Christ and the apostles, and what are we doing wasting our time with anything else? I mean, what could a preacher say that would exceed in value the truth of the word? 
A lying speech by politicians is better than mutilating God's word. Now, I quoted from Paul earlier what he said to Timothy about the scriptures. This was from Second Timothy, chapter three. He says to Timothy, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the non-negotiable truth of Christ and the apostles. We must find our doctrine in the Bible and preach from it. This is the path that we must walk. And we dare not change the way that we walk as if our ideas are better than thus saith the Lord. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is made to glorify Christ through the truth. Jesus said that God is worshipped in spirit and in truth. And this truth is not my truth. It's not your truth. It is God's truth. And what's left for you and me to do is to accept God's truth and make it ours. Well, there are several doctrines that I want to talk about. As I said, these are often referred to as fundamentals of the faith. These are foundational building blocks that without them, the spiritual house cannot stand. Now, found inside this path of declaration is what I think is self-evident doctrine. I've already alluded to it by saying that the scriptures are plenarily inspired. That, that means that they are full and total revelation. Traditions that are added by men are not inspired and are not part of scripture. And so when the Bible uh, teaches about faith for salvation, it's not faith plus traditions equals salvation. It's grace alone through faith alone that equals salvation. And if you didn't catch that, that's sole fide, that's sole grace, sola gratia, faith alone and grace alone. Now, unfortunately, in the early part of the 20th century, there was a controversy over modernism. Modernists didn't emphasize the fundamentals of the faith. Modernists were critical of biblical texts and they challenged the inspiration and infallibility of Scripture. And those who opposed the direction of the modernists were called fundamentalists. And they began to write about and to emphasize the fundamentals of the faith. But unfortunately, they did little exposition of the Bible's cardinal doctrine, a central doctrine, Justification by faith alone. And that was a tragedy because over the years it weakened the whole movement. And today a person can be called a fundamentalist and not even be clear on the doctrine of justification by faith alone. In the early part of the 20th century, famous preachers like Billy Sunday couldn't even articulate the doctrine correctly. And yet they were called fundamentalist. Following in his footsteps was Billy Graham, who became preacher to millions of Americans and advisor to presidents on all things religious. And yet Billy Graham embraced Roman Catholics who deny and even curse people who preach justification by faith alone. And most people don't know that it was always Graham's position that belief in Christ was not essential for salvation. He believed that the wider mercy theory that says that God's grace embraces anyone who is sincere in their faith and their faith need not be in Christ alone. 
And then there was the rise of Oral Roberts, who began the health, wealth and prosperity gospel. He spawned heretical preachers like Kenneth Copeland and Creflo Dollar, Fred Price and T.D. Jakes, Paul White and a host of others in the Christian market that know nothing of the true gospel of Christ. And then along comes Joel Osteen, who wants to motivate people into heaven with self-help systems. I mean, amazingly, godless reporters who have no interest in Christ ask Osteen if Christ can be found or where is he found in his books and sermons. If you wanted to know Christ, Osteen hides him because the truth of Christ is offensive to his followers. Across this country, preachers spew out humanist religion without justification by faith alone. And here we are wondering, like Jeremiah Where will we find anyone who hasn't been polluted with this nonsense? Who will hear and believe the truth? Now, you see, the path of thus saith the Lord is abandoned. God's word is not the standard, and so it matters little at all. But we we must be the church that takes the Bible book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse and says, this is all that matters. This is thus saith the Lord. And the Bible will make us wise unto salvation. And if the purpose of this church is not truth and the glory of God and the salvation of man, then save your tithes and offerings. Use them for recreation. Don't come here on Sundays because there is no need. But if the word of God means something to you and you understand that it's a path that God wants you to walk in, don't be anywhere but here. Bring your tithes and offerings. Bring your prayers. Be ready to worship because we've got important business to do. Jeremiah said, who will hear this? Who will obey it? And he wasn't a little exasperated at the task God gave him. And sometimes we feel the same way. There is so much junk going on that we ask, who is willing to hear? Are we just wasting our time? But I can tell you that we aren't wasting our time Because the reason the world still stands is because God has his people he wants to save. They must hear the gospel. And then when the last one is called by God and hears and believes, we don't need to worry about whether anybody hears anymore. But until then, we must cling to the path of declaration. Thus saith the Lord. Well, I've taken much time on this first one, so I'll just fit one more in today. My second observation is the path of deity. And you should recognize this because it is the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. And that seems so fundamental that there really isn't a need to press the point. I mean, how can you have a Christian church? How can you have Christianity if Jesus isn't God? Well, of course, you can't. But that hasn't stopped many churches from wandering off this path. Now, please understand that I'm using the word church loosely. Without Christ, these are not churches. They are religious gatherings, but they aren't New Testament churches. If anyone says that you can reach God and you can go to heaven by choosing your own path, by doing it your way, by being sincere about anything that you choose to believe in, that denies Christ. And that makes Christ and the apostles liars. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one who comes to the Father but by me. And so if you say there is another way, Jesus is a liar and therefore he is not God. If you say there is another way, 
Paul is wrong because he said that we must be found in Christ having his righteousness. Peter was wrong because he said we are washed from our sins in the blood of Christ. You can't get to heaven without your sins washed away. The Bible calls this the righteousness which is by faith. Faith in what? Is that faith in Buddha? Is that faith in Muhammad? Is it faith in a cow that's walking down the street? Faith in a golden calf that was made by Aaron? No, when the Bible speaks of this faith, it is faith in Jesus Christ, the God-man, who is the image of the invisible God. Faith in the one who is the living word. Now, anybody who says that none of this is necessary discards the Bible and Jesus with it. He denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and thus denies his deity. But despite the plethora of churches in America, only 56% of people believe Jesus is God. Among millennials, less than half believe he is God. Now, with so many churches, why, why don't more people believe that Jesus is God? Well, the answer lies in the weakness of churches that don't preach Christ, that have pushed him out a long time ago. Some say they preach Christ, but they don't preach the Christ of the Bible. Instead, they say there are other paths to God. Self is a way to God and you don't need Christ. Now, do you see what I mean? I mean, most people don't have any trouble saying that a Mormon is a Christian. Jehovah Witnesses are considered by many to be Christians. But both deny the deity of Christ. I read a book by Emmett Fox, who was the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. He denied every essential fundamental of the faith. And yet he called himself a Christian. How many go to AA and other organizations that encourage belief in a higher power? Do they mean the Christ of the Bible? No. You see, this is a non-negotiable path. You can't get off this path. You can't wiggle around on this path. You can't be sloppy about it. Jesus said that he was one with the Father. And you know, the Jews knew the importance of that statement, and they complained about it. And they said, he makes himself God. They knew what it meant to make that claim. And if he's God, he's not a liar because God can't lie. Others are liars when they say that there are other paths that lead to God. Well, God calls that path the broad road, the broad path of destruction. It's a super highway to hell. And most people in most churches are on that highway. They are headed to the same place as a God-hating atheist who denies God's existence. The apostle said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Well, we can't give this up because without it, there is no salvation. And so we will preach it and you will hear it repeatedly. We will be relentless about it because without this, without this true path, there are no souls saved. I spoke a moment ago of Emmett Fox. For most of you, he, he would be nobody on your radar. But I found him interesting because uh, he wrote a book about the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, he felt that he could exposit Jesus' greatest sermon. In the Beatitudes of Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Now, interestingly, Fox said the Bible doesn't contain any theology and there is no systematic approach to it. Well, I wonder, did he miss Matthew 5, 8? I mean, doesn't the Bible systematically tell us how to be pure in heart? And do you know the answer? I hope the answer is Jesus. The pure in heart are those who have been given the righteousness of Christ. Christ is their righteousness and they are justified with God, not for what they do, but for what Christ did. They are justified and declared righteous because of Christ's perfect life and his sacrificial death. They are justified by grace alone through faith alone. Oh, yes, it was a great tragedy that early fundamentalism spent so much time, so little time, I should say, emphasizing the doctrine of justification by faith alone. In the Fundamentals of the Faith, a collection of fundamentalist defenses of essential doctrine, there is only one short article on justification by faith alone. You see, salvation is this whole system of doctrine that is carefully laid out in the Bible that begins with election and predestination, regeneration, effectual calling, repentance and faith, and ends with the final glorification of our body. And the Bible leads us through all of that, every piece of it, systematically. It's been called the scarlet thread of redemption. It weaves its way through every page of the Bible. And all of it refers to whom? Who is in each of these doctrines? It's Christ. He is God. And if we fail to walk in the path of the deity of Christ, all is lost. So these are non-negotiable. You can't do without the true declaration of God's word. You can't do without the Bible's declaration of Jesus Christ, who is both God and man. And if these aren't your doctrines... You fail of the grace of God. Why don't you hear these things in church today? Can we be unified with those who can't even be defined as Christians because they miss this? The unity of believers is what the Bible teaches. And it teaches there is no unity found with those who deny the fundamentals of the faith. And we seek no unity with them because the only thing that sustains unity is agreement on the doctrines of the faith. Paul said any other approach to doctrine is the doctrine of devils. He said you can't fellowship with them. He said we must separate from them. There is no unity, no agreement between God and the doctrine of devils. He said don't yoke with them. Be separate and God will be a father to you and you will be his sons and daughters. There is unity among believers because we are one in doctrine, one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the word where we find the truth, where we find knowledge of Jesus Christ in the only place where we find out who he is and what he did and what he expects from us. Lord, we pray that we would be people of the faith, that we would stick to the doctrines of God's word, that we make the Bible the only thing that we choose to declare. Here we find, thus saith the Lord, stated so many times in Scripture, that what else can we do but listen and preach 
Listen, read, preach, declare always. Thus saith the Lord. Thank you, Father, for your church. Thank you for Berean Baptist Church. And we pray, Lord, once again, that very, very soon that we will be able to be back together, to worship together, declare the truth among each other together, receive fellowship of the saints of God, because this is what helps build us in the faith. But since we must come to the people in this way, we pray that those have have heard, have listened well, that they will adhere to, agree with, and make the word of God their sole faith and practice. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. Bless us. Be with us. Bless our country. Help our leaders to make the right decisions and what they should do. And we give you the praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'd like to leave you with uh, just a word, a final word of benediction. Uh, Reading from 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. This is a wonderful injunction for the people of God, especially as we should be thinking about each other. We, We don't get to see each other, but certainly we can think about each other and pray for each other. Here the apostle says, Uh, Beginning in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Be safe and go with God. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.